Today is the February 13th, 2022 meeting of Hope Bible Church. Steve Hogan's message is titled, Leadership in the Church, Part 2. If you would like to support our sermon audio ministry, please click the Give button on our sermon audio homepage. Thank you. Our reading this morning will be out of 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses 6 to 10. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it is now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Let's pray. Well, Lord, just thank you for reminding us of your spirit, Lord, and all its work in our lives, and just that we are here today because of that, that we can hear your word and be changed Uh, from inward out by the power of your spirit and we can be ones that are um, following you lord and being obedient and being changed and being part of your work here on earth we praise you for it we thank you for today praise you that you would um, you know speak with through through steve through your word and uh, we pray that you would help us to learn from it to be changed to be ones that are following you and bringing glory to you, Lord. And we thank you uh, for this time in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. Good to see you all here at Hope Bible Church. Glad you could be with us on this February morning. Dreary a little bit, but the Lord is good. His light shines in our hearts through his spirit. Again, glad that you could be with us. We're talking about leadership. And as you know, we need leadership whether it's at home, whether it's at work, whether it's in our cities, whether it's in our country, um, or whether here at the church. With good leaders, there can be success. For they lead, they give direction, they provide protection, they can help solve problems, and they should be good examples to the people that they are leading, to those they are serving. Without question, the greatest leader is the person of Jesus Christ. There's no doubt about that. I just want to mention a few things about him. He was humble. And that was seen, of course, that he put others first. He always served. He was always a servant. Luke 22, he says of himself, he says, I am among you as one who serves. Mark 10, it says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. He loved people. He cared people. He helped people. He fed people. When the disciples wanted to go home, he says, hey, there's at least 5,000 people here. I think that was the men, and women more than that, and children. We need to feed these people. He met people's needs. He performed miracles. We don't know. I believe 
I tend to think it's thousands and thousands of people that he healed. Of course, he cast out the demons out of people and, and raised people from the dead. What a miraculous time uh, when he was on earth. Of course, he loved people and that he was patient with people. You see with Peter, you see many others, he put up with people. He was compassionate, like the, the time Matthew 9 talks about this. It says he saw the uh, people and saw that they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. And, of course, he could see through to the heart of a person. He says he felt compassion for them. He felt it. He felt it. And, of course, he was gentle with people. And, of course, he forgave people. And he had the power. We read this. I think it's Mark chapter 1 or 2. He had the power to forgive. When he forgave, he forgave. He actually forgave people their sins. He led people. People followed him. He had 12 apostles, 11 good ones, and one not so good. And many others, uh, uh, disciples, that they followed him. He was a leader with followers. He influenced people. He changed people's thinking. But much more than that, he actually changed their lives. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's changed your life. That's what he has done. He always told the truth, always taught the truth. He never lied. He told people and us exactly what we need to hear. And he speaks lovingly and he speaks clearly. He was holy. In fact, he was perfect. He never, ever sinned. And to fathom that, we all know our own frame, our bodies, our lives, our mind. We sin. We sin. He never sinned. He was perfect. And he was a perfect example to people and to us as well. Jesus is building the church. He's building this church. He has built this church, and he will continue to build this church. He's building the church in this city, in this country, and all over the world. What a wonderful truth. I love that verse. Can't say it enough. Matthew 16. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So we have this little Super Bowl tonight. His building the church is infinitely and eternally more important than this little Super Bowl tonight that will be the most watched event in the world probably this year. Much more important what he is doing, building the church. And of course, the time will come when he will rapture the church. We'll all be gathered together to be with the Lord Jesus in heaven. After that, sometime, he'll come back. And this is what I look forward to, that one song we sang from Habakkuk 2.14 about uh, you know, the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. That's speaking of millennial kingdom time. He'll come back and rule powerfully, righteously, wisely, and lovingly. And as Christians, we will rule and reign with him. Revelation tells us that. So that'll be something to look forward to. So we have this example, of the person of Jesus Christ, but there's another person that's given to us as an example. I want you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. We're going to look through a number of verses and make comments on most of them here. Acts chapter 20, verses 17 to 19. And Paul had gathered together the elders, the leaders of the church in that area, Verse 17 to 19, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, with trials which came upon me. So the first thing you see, we're going to look at his character in these few verses here to the end of this chapter, said he too was humble. 
I mentioned that about Jesus. He was a humble man. He always put other people first. Then in verse 20, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. He had a heart and love for God's word. He did all that he could do to get the word of God out. He preached the word. He taught the word. That's what he did to his disciples and, of course, and to the crowds. He said in himself in 2 Timothy 4, writing to Timothy, he says, preach the word in season and out. Be ready. Be preaching the word. Verse 21, we continue on. It says, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He was a solemn man. He's not a joker, not a jokester. He was a solemn man. He was a serious man. He understood what was going on in the lives of hearts and souls. He knew God's purpose, Christ's purpose for him on earth. He understood that solemn man, serious man. He was like Jesus when it said of Jesus, I believe in Isaiah, that he was a man of sorrows. But we also understand that, that he loved the gospel. He knew that the gospel was the single most important message that there was, and he told people. And I love the way it sums it up here. People need to repent of their sins and put their faith in Christ. When we talk to people, that's what we need to tell them, both things. Not just faith in Christ, repent of your sins and repent Uh, Repent of your sins and put your faith in Christ, in Christ alone. We go on to 22 and 23. It says, And now behold, bound in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. How would you like the Holy Spirit to tell you that? Well, Steve, well, you guys, you got sufferings and afflictions awaiting you every place you go, whatever you do. I'm not saying that's going to happen to you, but that's what, that's what God through the Spirit told Paul. I mean, there is no doubt. I, I, look, at, I look at the litany of ways that he suffered given to us in 2 Corinthians 11. There's no, ver, there's no passage like that that I can find in the whole Bible. I'm not going to read it. You go to 2 Corinthians 11 there in the middle of the chapter, thing after thing that he went through, how he endured, how he suffered for Christ. It's just phenomenal. And that's what he says here as, as well. Verse 24 says, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. That, that's one of those life verses. That's the kind of verse you want to put on the wall or put in your heart, memorize it. That, that's, a, that's a great verse. Because here's, here's Paul, and, and, and he had a desire for the Great Commission. He had a desire to make disciples of all the nations. I want you to turn your Bibles, and I like the way it says it. It's stated simply his mission in Acts 9, but Acts 26 um, says it more completely. Acts 26, turn there if you have a Bible. We start in verse 14. And this is when he's on his way to uh, Damascus, and this is the time when he is saved by the Lord Jesus. He says in verse 14, When we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who who are you, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things which I will appear to you. 
rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Isn't that a wonderful message, instruction for his life, which is really for us as well. We need to be seeing that, understand that. Verses 25 to 27, back to Acts 20. Twenty-five to twenty-seven. Now, behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you that this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. He was a man who did what God, what Christ commanded him to do, and he was a man that had a clear conscience, no regrets. I mean, that's why we read in Second Timothy four those great verses inclusion of his life. I fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. I mean, we need to have that in mind for ourselves. Another great life verses. Can we say that? Are we, are we doing that now? Fighting and keeping the faith and finishing the course so that we can say that when the Lord brings us home. Great verses. We continue on. We go to verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock amongst the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Paul knew and carried out his own role that he was an overseer, that he was to guard and protect the church, that he was to shepherd and care for and meet the needs of the people. He understood that. That's how he saw his life. 29 to 31, we continue. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock and from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. I'm, all, I'm sure you've all seen, whether it's some movie or show or whatever, a, a pack of savage wolves, right? You've seen that. And they're savage, and they're, they're coming after another animal or a person, you know, to kill them and devour them. That's what they do, and just leave the bones. So Paul was one who was, was spiritually alert, He knew who the enemy was. He knew that they were savage wolves, and he was one who warned the people as he warned them right here. He warned them. And, of course, we also know that he was a fighter. The verses in Ephesians 6 probably communicate this as well as anything, where he said, Your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He understood it, the warfare that was taking place. Verse 32, and now I, now I commend to you God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Again, he talks about the word of God. He understood that the word of God was, was, was uh, supreme, that it was sufficient, and that it was powerful, and that it had the ability to bless and to correct and to encourage believers. He understood the power of God's word, and he preached the word of God. Verse 33, he says, I've coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. He was a man who wasn't selfish. He wasn't greedy. Uh, He was one who gave. He knew that all that he had was for others. He wasn't just hanging on to things for himself. He did not do that. Everything was for the Lord, and everything then was for others as well. Verse 34 says here, You yourselves know well that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. He was a man who really thought about others. 
he wrote the verses in first, excuse me, Philippians chapter 2 about you're supposed to consider others as being more important than yourself. That's how he thought about it. He saw everybody as, as more important than himself. He thought about others and he did all that he could to then help meet their needs. Verse 35, And everything that I showed you that by working hard in this matter you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Again, we see here on again, but we see that Paul was a hard worker. He shared those verses about a hard-working farmer in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 6. And here it says he worked hard. He was a hard worker day after day after day. His, his body was spent, I'm sure, at the end of his life. He worked hard for the Lord. Then we see the next phrase in that, he, he ministered to, um, he, well, he helped the weak. He was one who was kind and gentle and giving and ministering to the needs of the weak, those who were hurting, those who were in need. That's what he did. He a powerful preacher, but also very, very sensitive to the individual person and where they're at. Read in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7, 8, talks about how he was like a nursing mother, tenderly caring for her children. That's how he thought of himself. That's how he encouraged these leaders to be like that as well. In verse 36, when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. Oh, Paul was a man of prayer. He knew that ultimately God had to do things. He wrote the words in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6, I believe, says something like, one man plants another waters, but God caused the growth. It's a great verse for us. We have our part, but ultimately it's God. God does the work. He gets the credit. He gets all the glory. Verse 37, and they began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him. This tells us that the people loved Paul. But clearly, it's because he loved them. He greatly loved the people. He had many friendships, many godly relationships. You go to Romans chapter 16, you have a whole litany of people that I'm sure he loved every one of them. He briefly mentioned them. We see a similar type thing, a smaller list in Colossians chapter 4 of these relationships with people that he had. So it's, again, a good example there. So the point is this is we need to learn from Jesus and from Paul from their life, their character, from their words, and from their example. Now, last week we talked about elders, and I went through things. If you didn't hear the message, or you can get the, I think the copies back there. God has said that the elders are to be the leaders of the church. And what's the specific purpose of the elders? Let me just go through a, a little list here, and some of these things I've already covered, talking about Jesus and, and Paul, but they're to lead the church, the church in the direction that Christ commands. They're to spiritually feed the church, that they are to teach the church God's word. They are to preach the gospel. They are to tell people how they can be saved from sin and death and hell. And they are to be ones who protect and guard the church from enemies and from error and from false teachers. And they are to love and care for the church. That is, a true leader loves the church. He loves the church as a whole. He loves the individuals in the church. He's a love and care for the church, for all the believers in the church, and do what he can then to meet their needs, particularly spiritually so. That would be a good example. And be mindful of this. That would be a good, good example to all the believers in the church. And so to make the decisions that need to be made regarding the oversight, the direction, the protection, the, the feeding, and the caring of the church, that is What's it to do? In 1 Timothy 5, 17, there's two words that really strike out to me. It says, the elders are to rule well. 
that's, that's a good way to sum things up here. That are rule well. That are be good rulers and rule well. As, as elders, our desire is that God's purposes and commands are carried out, and God wants us as elders in this church to be ones who are of like mind, who have the mind of Christ as we then do the work of shepherding the church. And in our church, uh, the elders get together on a regular basis to talk about the, the needs in the church, the direction in the church, and the decisions that need to be made. We get together every two or three weeks. In fact, this Tuesday night we'll have a, a, a meeting together. We do this. This takes place truly takes place when there's humility and a love for God and a love for the people, and also then faith. That is, we're trusting God, depending on him to give us the wisdom, to give us the answers, to give us the direction that he wants for our church. Acts 15, a lot of the chapters is, is, is about this, this problem that the early church was facing, but it's a good picture for us. It talks about the apostles and the elders getting together. There's a particular problem relative to the truth of the gospel. So they're discussing this. They were talking about this. And, 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 and what happened is, is, is God gave them unity of mind and wisdom and the answer. And then they shared that answer to the people. And it went out really all over uh, that, that part of the world at that time, that answer. Last week, we talked about how the designated leaders in the church are the elders we specifically said, and this is communicated to us in Philippians chapter 3, excuse me, 1, verse 1, and 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 8, that, that the elders, and this is how I see it, a lot of discussion, a lot of difference, a lot of variance in churches around the world in this, but I, I see it pretty simply, and we as elders all agree. The elders are comprised of two offices. You have the overseer and you have the deacon. That's what it is. There's two different offices. And the elders, the overseers and the deacons are to work together in leading the church. It's it's, it's united effort. That's what it is. Now, the character of the overseer and the deacon is really pretty much the same, but but the roles and the responsibility will differ. That's, that's That's for sure. The overseer is the primary teaching elder. It says of this, of the overseer in Titus 1.9, it says this, holding fast the faithful words so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. That doesn't mean the deacons don't know the word. First Timothy 3 goes on to make that very clear. They need to know the word of God and understand and be able to share it too, but the primary teaching responsibilities of the overseer. The word deacon means servant or minister, a very, very common word that's found in, in the New Testament. And the deacon basically serves in different ways, meeting various needs in the church. Even though they really weren't called deacons in Acts chapter 6, we read about these seven men who were selected by the people to serve this particular problem with feeding the, I believe, the widows, and they did. It was a particular need that came up, and the deacons then, the deacon-type people, they're the ones that were then meeting the needs. That's what they were doing. Now, as, as elders, we don't have a position over you or above you, but we are to be your servants, and we then are to serve in a special role of oversight on your behalf. And we're involved in bearing a concern for the entire congregation. So as I said before, we get together. We get together to look at the word, to pray for you, for the church, for direction, to talk about different needs, different decisions that need to be make, made, and, 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 and literally then standing together as a team then in, in shepherding, in ruling, in leading and an overseer in the church. That's what our desire is. Now, the overseers and deacons are not independent of one another, and one person does not have authority over 
another. We are all on the same level, and we are to work together, we are to lead together, we are to rule together humbly, lovingly, and unitedly for the purposes and the glory of God. That's what to do. Now, this point in time, this part of our service is over, okay? So, um, and then I, we have some more things we need to share. Can I continue? We're good? Okay, I, I sort of feel bad. There's some people who listen online, I believe, that one of our members texted some of those to let them know that we are now sort of in our part two, but we sort of had to do this for different reasons. It relates part to our, our technological abilities here. You see the screen coming down.